This is The Guardian. Today, a sensational leak shows that the US Supreme Court is set to overturn Roe versus Wade. What happens now? The Supreme Court hasn't struck down Roe versus Wade yet. But this week, an unprecedented leak revealed that after almost 50 years, this landmark ruling is about to be overturned. And that women in America will lose the legal right to have an abortion. This could be the most consequential opinion in decades. Politico reports the Supreme Court could be poised to strike down Roe v. Wade and its supporting precedents. When The Guardian US's senior health reporter, Jessica Glenzer, was last on Today in Focus six months ago, she told us it was a perilous moment for reproductive rights in America. Reading the court documents now, she was floored by the callous language. I was shocked at how curt the reasoning was. It was so blunt, egregiously wrong, exceptionally weak, damaging in its consequences. Those are really not words that you typically read in a Supreme Court opinion. So what was going through my mind immediately was that this is a not just an enormously important decision, but one reasoned in a way that was very, almost caustic. From The Guardian, I'm Noshin Iqbal. Today in Focus, the US Supreme Court seems poised to throw out the right to an abortion. What happens if Roe versus Wade is overturned? Jessica Glenzer, you're the senior health reporter for The Guardian US. And when we last spoke on the show, we were talking about the erosion of reproductive rights in the US and whether or not Roe versus Wade might be overturned by the Supreme Court. Now, this leaked document does say yes, that's exactly what's about to happen. Who wrote it and what does it mean? This leaked document is a draft opinion that was written by Justice Samuel Alito and the reporting that went along with this document showed that five justices, uh, the majority of nine members of the bench, had voted in favor of it. So there's one paragraph at the beginning of this decision that has been quoted widely because it's such a remarkable attack on precedent from the Supreme Court. That paragraph is, Roe was egregiously wrong from the start, its reasoning was exceptionally weak, and the decision has had damaging consequences. And far from bringing about a national settlement of the abortion issue, Roe and Casey, another important Supreme Court decision, have inflamed debate and deepened division. And to roughly summarize, what the document says is that Roe versus Wade should be overturned entirely. Now, all of that said, this is a draft opinion. So even if Roe versus Wade is eventually overturned, for now it remains the law of the land. Jess, the Supreme Court has confirmed that this document is real, and we'll get to the question of who might have leaked it and why. But first, can you explain to us why is this leak so unprecedented? 
at no time in the last 100 years, that's basically the modern era of the Supreme Court, has there been a leak of this magnitude on such an important and controversial case. There have been leaks in the past of, for example, a justice may have changed their vote, or there's a positioning around where someone may vote. But this is an entire draft opinion. So it sounds seismic. What has the public response been like? Yeah, I think seismic is a great word for it. Mm. I mean, immediately people have taken to the streets in front of federal, state, and local buildings to protest. And in those cases, both sides of the abortion debate are represented. Now, it's important to say here when I say both sides that... 70% of Americans believe that abortion should be legal, if not in any circumstances, then in at least some circumstances, and only 19% of Americans think it should be outlawed entirely. Nevertheless, I just want to mention that that's a minority. Yeah. People from the anti-abortion side sort of lauding the decision, saying there's a need to put political pressure on the courts so that justices don't change their votes. And people on the pro-choice side, simply outside of buildings in rage, confusion, despair, shock, but perhaps not surprise if they've been following the issue closely. I think it's just a tremendous outpouring of emotion. And what about the response from politicians? What have we been hearing? Well, from Democrats, we've heard repeated promises to continue to fight to protect reproductive rights, especially at the state level. So a number of blue states have recognized that this is a possibility and are starting to shore up their protections for abortion rights. From congressional Democrats, we've heard that there's a need to pass legislation to protect reproductive rights at the federal level. Here because I am angry, and I am here because the United States Congress can change all of this. And from top Republicans, we've heard more focus on the leak itself. And you need, it seems to me, excuse the lecture, uh, to concentrate on what the news is today. Not a leaked draft, but the fact that the draft was leaked. In other words, this was part of a plot to undermine the Supreme Court and less focus on the contents of the document because I think there's recognition from Republicans that running on a platform to make abortion illegal is not appealing to the overwhelming majority of Americans. It's a very small minority that feel that it should be illegal under all circumstances. So it's not a winning campaign issue. Mm. But prosecuting a leaker is an easy distraction from the contents of this draft opinion. So who might have leaked this and why? Well, draft opinions are tightly held in the Supreme Court between clerks to the Supreme Court justices and office personnel So not many people, but enough people that it might be difficult to find out who actually did this. The motives of the person who did this, I think, are, frankly, we can only speculate. 
Perhaps this person was worried about the outcome of this case. Perhaps this person wanted to ensure that reproductive rights would be severely limited in the United States and wanted to put political pressure on the justices to lock in their votes. Both scenarios have plausible aspects. Just from everything you're saying, if indeed the court overturns Roe, as the opinion says it will, many American women will lose the right to an abortion. But what's the difference between that and an outright ban on abortion? Well, to be clear, if the federal right to an abortion is eliminated, more than half of women in the United States will be subject to bans. So losing the federal right is not the same as a national ban, no, but it is an incredible blow to women's ability to control their own bodies in the United States. And it doesn't just impact the women who are in states that might make abortion illegal. It also impacts people in states where abortion is protected. Why? Because people who need abortions are going to do whatever they can to obtain an abortion, and that might mean traveling to another state. And suddenly you're in a situation where people are moving from one state to another. And then in the state where abortion is protected, even there, wait times would grow enormously. So that's the first impact. The second impact that I think is even broader is the impact on the medical profession. Some of the bans that are being introduced in states that are hostile to abortion include decades of jail time for doctors, uh, tens of thousands of dollars fines, um, absolutely life-altering penalties for physicians. Jess, how differently are women across the country going to feel this? The, The most obvious barrier to obtaining an abortion is going to be finances. If you have to travel hundreds of miles, let's say you're a woman in Louisiana, the nearest abortion clinic to you should Roe versus Wade fall is likely to be in Illinois. Now that's from the deep south to the northern Midwest. That's more than 500 miles. Mm. It takes resources, money, logistical support to make that kind of trip. So disproportionately, women who obtain abortions in the United States are people who are low income, people of color, and who already have children. We also told us previously about these trigger laws that could go into effect as soon as Roe was overturned. Jess, what do those laws say? Right now, there are 13 states across the country that have so-called trigger bans. That means they're triggered by the fact that the Supreme Court reverses or overturns Roe versus Wade in part or in its entirety. Those laws vary from state to state, but... What's notable about recently passed abortion bans and trigger laws is that many lack exceptions for rape and incest. Oklahoma being the most recent high-profile example of such a ban, and not only does it lack an exception for victims of rape or incest, it also defines the, the exceptions for a woman's life very narrowly. In other words, if you're having a psychological crisis, um, that's not provided for in this law. You can only be extremely physically 
ill or compromised or injured as a result of your pregnancy, and you can't be able to deliver the baby to remedy the situations. So it puts it puts both doctors and women in an incredibly precarious and, and potentially life-threatening situation. And meanwhile, a number of blue states, which are the ones that largely vote for the Democrats, have already been planning their response to the possibility of Roe being overturned. Jess, what are they doing? Well, they're taking a variety of measures. Some states are working to expand their public health insurance programs that would allow women who are low income to obtain abortions paid for by uh, public health insurance. Others are seeking to set up funds that would help women from out of state come to have abortions there. For example, Oregon has done this. But to be frank, the movements in blue states, while important to secure the right to abortion in the long term, are not going to be enough to help all of the women who will need help in states that ban abortion. And they're making these important improvements to their laws, to reproductive rights, almost 50 years into the game when conservatives have been working for 49 years to restrict abortion in almost every conceivable way, landing finally where we're at at the Supreme Court. So I think it's both incredibly important and falls short of what is needed to actually secure reproductive rights for half of the population in the United States. Jess, we were originally expecting for this judgment from the Supreme Court to be made in June. But now this draft opinion has been leaked. Will what happens over the next month or two in terms of protest, in terms of where it lands in the public court of opinion, do you think it will have any bearing on the official ruling? I think it could impact the timing because there's now calls for the Supreme Court to release its final decision since this draft opinion has been leaked. There's no guarantee that we couldn't see an expedited schedule. But I think that Justice Alito laid out pretty clearly in this decision that he doesn't believe that public opinion should have anything to do with the court's work. But it's difficult to say in this circumstance. These are five conservative justices who have already expressed their willingness to overturn a nearly 50-year precedent of American law and If there's a willingness there, they would have already known that the majority of Americans support legal abortion. Some of the arguments laid out in this opinion go directly to the fact that they are doing this in spite of public opinion. You know, in terms of timing, I think there's a possibility it could impact the decision, but otherwise it's very difficult to say. Coming up. How could the repeal of Roe versus Wade have an impact on rolling back other human rights? Coming soon, a four-part investigative series. A new civil rights division has been set up in New Orleans. Their task? To re-examine thousands of cases and work out whether those people should still be in prison. This six-month investigation takes you into the heart of the Deep South and asks, is it possible to right the wrongs of the past? Listen to The Division New Orleans from this Friday, 6th of May, and across the weekend on Today in Focus.
For a lot of listeners, it just seems so inconceivable that all of this is happening while the Democrats control the White House and while the US has its first ever woman vice president. Jess, how did we get here? Well, a lot of people think of their debate on abortion as one that's been evenly heated throughout the last five decades. But in fact, the number of abortion restrictions have accelerated over the last decade, especially since 2011. And if you think back to what was happening in 2011, it was the midterm elections of Barack Obama's presidency, and it was the so-called Tea Party sweep. It was when Republicans took control of state houses in large numbers and then went ahead drafting more and more abortion restrictions. And because election districts were so severely gerrymandered, that means drawn in a way to favor one party or another, they favored extreme candidates. So that favored the most extreme position on some of the most divisive issues in America, including abortion. So it was really after 2011 that we started to see this extreme and heightened focus on overturning Roe versus Wade. And that was sort of pushed to the extreme when Donald Trump got into office. And that's the period when you started to see bans on abortion at six weeks, what sometimes people who support the bans call heartbeat bills. That's when you started to see outright bans on abortion. That's when you started to really have this push to get these laws not only into effect, but before the Supreme Court. That is why I'm also calling upon members of Congress here tonight to pass legislation finally banning the late-term abortion of babies. Whether we are Republican, Democrat, or Independent, Surely we must all agree that every human life is a sacred gift from God. But given all of that, and given the fact that, as you said, less than a fifth of Americans believe that American women should have no right to illegal abortion, and given that Trump isn't in power anymore, an obvious solution to a lot of people would be along the lines of what Bernie Sanders tweeted this week, which is, Congress must pass legislation that codifies Roe versus Wade as the law of the land in this country now. Jess, can you explain why this still seems a political impossibility? So the Democrat-led House has already passed a bill that would effectively codify the rights that were handed down in Roe versus Wade. And in fact, would go a little bit further. It's quite a progressive bill. But it's stalled in the Senate because the Senate is split evenly between Democrats and Republicans. So... In short, it's a political impossibility right now because we have a rule that requires a 60-vote majority in the Senate. We only have 50 Democrats. There's universal opposition on the Republican side. We've seen that two Republican senators, moderates, have come on board to say that they would support reproductive rights. But once again, two Republicans plus 49 Democrats does not equal 60 votes. And I think the important thing to remember here is like we think a lot about like, well, how can we codify the rights of Roe? How can Congress work to pass reproductive rights that ensures this is something that's protected for all American women? But the opposite is also true, that should Republicans win in 2024, when the White House and the Senate and the House, for example, then we could be facing the opposite situation, where abortion is made illegal across the entire country. 
So I think we can't look at what's going on with the Supreme Court and see it as the final word, the most extreme word on abortion rights in the United States. Even as we're at the precipice of this absolutely tectonic shift, there's still room for it to get worse in some ways. Jess, if it does, do you think this is the start of something much bigger? The last time we spoke, you said that Roe versus Wade was just a tipping point for legislative change and the wider erosion of civil liberties. How do you see things playing out now? Well, I see it as a canary in the coal mine for democracy. Roe versus Wade is not a decision that stands alone. As part of American law, it's been cited at all kinds of other important Supreme Court decisions that have granted rights to other groups. The most obvious link to Roe versus Wade is the right to gay marriage. That decision has a direct line to Roe versus Wade. But there are other rights too, for example, the right to private sexual acts in your own home, the right to educate your children as you see fit. And then before Roe versus Wade, there were also decisions that allowed, on the same principles, the right to contraceptive for individuals. And before that, the right to contraceptive for married people. And then prior to that, a case that banned anti-miscegenation laws that made it illegal to marry someone of a different race. These are fundamental civil liberties in the United States that govern who we are as individuals. It sounds like mundane legalese, but in fact, it has a direct impact on the way that we go about living our lives governed by our own choices. Jess, it's a really profound and terrifying picture that you paint of the situation back in the US. But I wonder also, if this ruling is overturned, what does it mean for abortion rights globally? Well, the United States was one of the leaders in the women's rights movement in the 1970s, and Roe versus Wade was a decision that became a fundamental building block of liberalizing abortion laws around the world. And that's a trend that's taken place over the last 50 years and has especially accelerated since the 1990s. In that time, the right to abortion has been ratified as a human right by the United Nations just since the 1990s when abortion restrictions became even stricter in the United States as we started to stagnate and even go backwards. 40 nations liberalized their abortion laws. And so the big question is, does this jurisprudence then become something that's cited by other countries who are sort of on the precipice of restricting abortion laws in their own nations? That's one question. And then another question is, what company does it put the United States in on the global stage? It puts us among El Salvador, Egypt, Poland. And so I think it not only provides cover for totalitarian regimes who might seek to restrict the rights of women and other people who can become pregnant, but it also takes any authority that the United States might have on the rights to women and girls and eviscerates it. How can we go to the world stage and argue for the rights of women and girls when in our country, half of American women cannot control their reproduction? Those Republican leaders who are trying to weaponize the use of the law against women. Will we say, how dare they? 
How dare they tell a woman what she can do and cannot do with her own body? How dare they? How dare they try to stop her from determining her own future? How dare they? Well, Jess, the midterm elections are just a few months away now. Do you think this is an issue that Republicans and Democrats are going to try and campaign around? No doubt. Absolutely. This is going to become central to the midterm elections. It's such an unprecedented moment that it's hard to say exactly how that's going to play out. Will Republicans be able to use the leak as an effective distraction? Will Democrats be able to rally their base around an issue that historically has not necessarily brought people out to vote for progressives and Democrats? As it stands, the moment we're in right now, emotions are running incredibly high, but it's tough to see how the midterms play out from where we are right now. And just away from the politics of it for a second, away from the protests, away from all that emotion, on the ground, when someone who wants an abortion can't get one legally, what's the reality? What do they do? Well, right now it's important to say Roe versus Wade remains the law of the land until the Supreme Court issues a final decision in which it decides to reverse in totality or in part Roe versus Wade. Now, should it come to pass that the Supreme Court decides to overturn Roe versus Wade in the way that it does in this decision, which is a direct and total overturning of that precedent. By the estimate of one economics professor, one quarter of women who want to obtain an abortion in states where it will become banned will be unable to obtain an abortion. One quarter. If a person's in a state where abortion is banned, they're going to potentially have to travel hundreds of miles to go to a legal abortion clinic They will have to obtain medication abortion if they are early enough in their pregnancy. It's considered safe until 10 weeks gestation. That's when the majority of abortions take place, but not all. It will be illicit or people will have to otherwise self-manage their abortion in through underground networks. And for some people, none of this will be accessible and they will be forced to carry unwanted pregnancies to term. That is the reality of where we're headed. Jess, you've been reporting on reproductive rights for a really long time. Is there a moment that really stands out to you in understanding what Roe versus Wade has meant to American women? There's not one single moment that I can say is when I knew what abortion meant to American women. It was the stories that friends shared with me, that strangers shared with me, that when I saw the anger in the eyes of people who opposed abortion. And I guess it, in some ways, was the experiences of my own friends and family who know that I do this work, who have shared with me their stories that have driven home how important it is, how fundamental it is. And that's why I say it's fundamental, not just to American women, but to everyone. Because if you can pull a civil right away from half of people in the United States, What is there left to stop wresting civil rights from more people? It's a fundamental right of our modern democracy that's now under threat in a way that it never has been before. Jess, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Nosheen. That was Jessica Glenzer. 
You can follow her reporting and more on the developments of this story and the impact on reproductive rights across the world at theguardian.com. I'd recommend looking out for a piece titled It's a Hell of a Scary Time, leading US feminists on the threat to Roe versus Wade. And that's it for today. This episode was produced by Tom Glasser and Eva Krishiak. Sound design is by Rudy Zagadlo. The executive producers are Mithely Rao and Phil Maynard. We'll be back tomorrow with the first episode of our special mini-series, The Division, New Orleans. This is The Guardian.